Hello, and welcome to the School District PR Pros Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Wiltsey. In this episode, we speak with Jake Finch, the PIO for Simi Valley Unified School District. Her background as a journalist has given her a unique perspective for her role at the district. We talk about a number of important topics, including some valuable insights for how to navigate challenging school board meetings. So let's get into it. The School District PR Pros Podcast is presented by Schoolshine, providing school districts with cutting-edge videos and video content strategy to help promote programs, increase school engagement, and more. Learn more at schoolshine.org. Jake, thank you so much for being on the School District PR Pros Podcast. I'm so excited to talk with you today. Um, I wanted to start a little bit with your background because uh, you were uh, not always a PIO at uh, Simi Valley. Uh, You were first uh, in reporting. I would love to know. Uh, kind of what got you into reporting and what was um, what kind of generated that interest for you? Initially, when I finally figured out what I wanted to do when I grew up, and it was at the age of 26, um, I went back to school because I wanted to write and get paid for it. That was my sole goal. Um, I wasn't interested in writing fiction or poetry. I, I love telling stories and I love telling real stories. So that's how I got into reporting. And I really loved being a reporter. I uh, was a print reporter for almost 20 years and um, it was incredibly fulfilling. So. And and so then what led you to getting a job um, as a PIO? What kind of made that transition? One of my regular beats was covering school districts and other government bodies, but a lot of school district coverage. And because of that, it you know, I, you start to really learn the schools from a different direction. Uh, so as well, I also am a parent in the district, in my district, and I have a vested interest in what happens here, you know, to my family. So I, th- that's pretty much what the draw was. And I think that's wonderful. I mean, I think that that is, uh, that's, it's, it's great to be investing in something that, that affects you and your family directly. I think that's, that's a really cool thing. Have your experiences as a reporter informed your job now? And and are there any interesting overlaps? You mentioned writing, communication, storytelling. The skill set is very similar. We're just using it in a different way. Uh, The writing, the research, research is a big one, being able to, you know, back up your stories, give your facts, give the context. That's, that's so important to what we do as, you know, PR people and PIOs. Um, Also just having those relationships already in place with the police, the city, uh, other agencies, the school district personnel knew me. Um, So, you you know, but that's not everybody's situation. Sometimes you're going into a district where you don't know anybody, but at least, you know, your background in my background in reporting, it gave me that bigger picture, how education fits into our community, what makes it important and vital. And, um, you know, all those connections and building those relationships, those skills are the same. You have to do that with reporting as well. Yeah, that's awesome. And and what really gets you out of bed in the morning? What do you love most about your job? When If it's like a Monday, you know, what are, uh, what are you thinking about? Um, what's, what, what really energizes you? I love knowing that I have some small part in helping children. You know, ultimately, I I could do this job for a police department. I could do it for a city. I could do it for a corporation. I love kids and I love teachers. I I love what they do, that interaction between them. So, um, you know, I'm not in the classroom, but I sometimes have the privilege of being there to watch what's going on. And education is a, a really interesting system. It, it's it's very complex. Public education has lots and lots of different arms and legs to it. 
And I like the challenge of getting to know it and to understand it. That was something I always enjoyed as a reporter, too. I like knowing how things work. So as I said, you know, having a kid in the district for so long, and she's graduated out now, but having her in there, um, you know, it, it became really important to me to really understand how it works and to be able to provide the public with facts um, and context, which is sorely needed in most cases, again, because it's so complicated that most parents don't walk into a school situation and really understand where they are and, and, and what their role is in all of this. And, and tell me more about your district in particular and your community. What, what do you think uh, makes it unique or um, what are some things that you really love about uh, the community at Simi Valley? So um, I'm not a California native. I come from New York City originally. I moved to Simi Valley when I was 20, uh, newly married, and we've lived here for more than 30 years now. So it, it's become my second home. And um, this community is really unique in that, uh, as one of our former board members said very astutely a few years ago, Simi Valley produces children and not much else. <laughs> our main enterprise is children. When you have a city that had 10 mattress stores and no bookstores for several years running, that kind of tells you a little bit about the community. Um, we are we are moderately affluent. We have neighbors that are much more affluent, but um, moderately affluent. We have got, um, we, as a school district, we are the largest employer in our city. We have about 2,200 employees, maybe a little bit more right now. And we serve 16,000 kids. And as the largest employer, that wasn't always our position. We used to be the headquarters for Bank of America and for um, Farmers Insurance. And oh. in the last 10 years, both moved out. And that caused a huge dip in enrollment for us because those families moved out of the area. And, you know, we've spent a lot of time and a lot of hard work building ourselves up again and trying to retain and even grow a little bit our enrollment. And that, that has been a huge issue up until COVID. COVID outshines everything else from that point on. But, um, but we have a big responsibility, you know, not just to the kids, but to our community. If our schools are stable, if they're good, if, if our kids are achieving, people want to live here and see me. And um, it's one of the biggest motivators to a family coming in. So we've got to do our job every day, all the time. And then we have to make sure that what we're doing is known. I love that. Um, tell me about, uh, speaking of your job, um, I'd love to kind of dive into like, what does a day in the life for you look like? What's keeping you busy right now? So our days are, uh, my days, my work day is completely psychotic. <laughs> it's, it's all over the place. I probably am undiagnosed ADD. I'm very happy you know, doing one thing for 10 minutes and moving on to the next and then going back to finish the first thing. And, and, and that has become more of the picture. Uh, for all of us in the last two years, our lives have had to be very flexible. Um, we don't know. I used to love the word pivot. I, I used to be a figure skater. Pivot is, is a wonderful thing until we got to COVID. And now pivot is that word that just makes me cringe because it means that we are once again going to have to stop look at what we're being told to do now and apply it. And while we do all of those things, we still have to teach our kids. <laughs> so it's, it's incredibly distracting. Um, it, it's sometimes the decisions that are made for us are irrational. They're inconsistent. They are not necessarily helping anything. Um, they are hard to explain to people because we don't understand them. Uh, I learned early on as a reporter that if I'm not understanding something that's going on. Somebody is explaining it to me. I used to think 
um, that that was my problem, that maybe I wasn't smart enough to understand it. I, I very gradually came to the realization, if I'm not understanding it, it's because it's either not rational or the person that is telling me the information isn't explaining it well. We have had many of those moments over the last two years, um, all of us in this state, because it's starting at the state and then it comes down to our counties and local areas. So work is um, challenging, but it still doesn't matter. What I see my coworkers do, my colleagues, my admins, my leaders, they just pick it up and they figure it out. They're not whining, they're not complaining. They may have a groan here and there because how can you help that? But they're just doing the job and they're trying to figure out how to make it work. And most of the time they're doing it with a smile and that really rubs off on me. You know, I wanna support them when I see them doing that. Uh, I learned so much from them. So, um, you know, in, in the normal sense, you know, before two years ago, um, I think we were really blessed here. We were on a, a definite upswing Everything was going in a very positive direction in our community, in our district. You know, we were seeing absolute solid gains in many areas, and we were proud of the work that we're doing. And I think that the last two years has humbled us in a way that I don't really feel is fair, but it's what is. And we have to acknowledge that and make the best that we can until we get past this. And then we're going to have a new norm that we have to figure out too. It sounds like your leadership and your your colleagues are just really inspiring in terms of their ability to just roll with the punches and have do it with a smile. I mean, I that's uh, a really powerful thing when you kind of have a culture like that. How would you describe kind of the current climate of school board meetings? Um, is it different than it was, say, four or five years ago? Uh, are some things different or some things the same? So I, I will claim this very happily in our district. I have attended more Simi Valley Unified School District meetings than any other human here because I did it for 10 years as a reporter. And wow. then I go to all the meetings here. So so when they start talking about meetings, um, I just kind of look at them and go, I remember the days when um, we had crazy at every meeting, but for much different reasons. What I see right now is a very disturbing movement to disrupt public education, just in general. Um, and, and I've actually seen people who just want it taken down. And I don't know what comes in its place. I haven't heard their alternative. Um, and these are not, this is not necessarily people who are believing in vouchers, which is giving you the alternative. It's take down public education. It's bad, it's evil, it's ruining your children. Um, I disagree with that strongly. <laughs> Uh, to, the, to the core of my being. There, there is a need for public education. Um, but a lot of the people that are coming to our school board meetings, um, there, there's a core group who are our parents and they are frustrated and angry and upset and it's completely valid and it's legitimate. But then I see that we have people from outside of our community that come in and they rile it up and they, they get everybody's tempers even more heightened. And and there's a, a level of irrationality that comes into that board meeting when you've got outside people attending for what I see as the sole purpose of stirring a pot. And, and it doesn't serve our parents because if, when, they, when they start believing the rhetoric, then they believe that we're abusing their children. I mean, we've had, board, we've had people come up to our board and say, you are child abusers. And you know, it doesn't matter to a point how much you explain it, how much you, you know, explain how our hands are tied, why we follow this process. It's still not giving them what they want. 
and um, and then they start looking at all the other things. And and I have to remind our our board members, I have to remind staff and myself that we're talking about a very, very small minority of our families, like micro small. We have 16,000 kids at the board meeting in August, which has been our only in-person board meeting. That was the, we had a window where the mask mandate was lowered in our county and we were able to do an in-person meeting. And, um, and that was the board meeting where we had 175 people who had come into the room. And I would say that one third of them were from outside of our community. <laughs> and wow. it was, it was painful because it had been many years since anybody had seen a, a really raucous board meeting. It was frustrating when you had parents that were coming up and they were upset about the mask mandates and they were eloquent and they knew what they were talking about and they had done their research and then they would throw in CRT and, and they didn't know what CRT was, but they were told to say CRT because it's, you know, it's such a loaded term right now. And, and you could just see the shift from that knowledgeable, informed parent to, I need something else to be mad about. <laughs> and, and as a board, you can't answer from the dais. You have to let them speak. And um, I was actually very proud of our board that night. Uh, they, were, they let everybody talk. We had 45 people that spoke and only two who were happy with us. <laughs> um, they let everybody have their, their four minutes of time. They added people on who hadn't turned in their cards on time and, and still heard from them. So everybody got to be heard. They still managed to go on with the meeting and finish the meeting, which is really important. A, a lot of a lot of the social activism that's out there trying to disrupt um, governmental meetings like this, their goal is to derail the meeting so you don't finish it. That's That's like the prize at the end of all of this. And the fact that our board stuck with the agenda, managed to move through it, regardless of who was catcalling from the audience, and they were, <laughs> um, you know, that took a lot. These board members had never seen a meeting like this before. This this was new stuff for them. So, And so that's amazing that you were able to keep things under control. What advice would you give to other uh, districts dealing with uh, the same issue to kind of uh, stay the course and, and, and you know, keep the meeting effective, um, you know, de-escalate, um, you know, what, what are some of those tactics you would, you would keep in mind? I, I think the very first thing that anybody who's in the middle of that needs to know is that this is not personal. The people who are coming and yelling and screaming, they, they don't know you and they don't know your job. They just know that they're upset and that this is the place where they're supposed to be heard. Okay. Um, so I think it's really, really important to, to, Try to do everything you can not to absorb that. Don't let this take up space in your head. You got to hear what people are saying. You have to respect that they have an issue. You have to listen to it, but they don't know you. And even if they get personal, they still don't know you. They don't know what your job is most of the time. We had um, at this one particular board meeting, our superintendent was actually home very sick. <laughs> it's the only time he's missed a board meeting. And he was homesick with COVID, which he you know, was open about. And so it was our assistant superintendent who had to run the meeting. It was the first time he had to run a board meeting and it was the worst board meeting he could possibly be in front of. And they thought that he was our superintendent. And so a lot of them were yelling at him for the job he's been doing, which wasn't his job. <laughs> I mean, it, was, oh it was, and and he told them at the beginning, I'm not the superintendent, but they weren't listening. And, you know, cause they just wanted to be able to be heard. So you know, it, it, in his case, it could have been much more brutal, but he was like, 
they don't even know who I am. Literally, they don't know who I am. They're, they're not paying attention to the fact that I'm just sitting in here. I, I can't take this personally. Um, so that's a big one. I think you have to also um, always remember, and this applies regardless of, of what the interaction is publicly, um, you never argue philosophy. You're not going to change somebody's belief system. That, and that's not your job. Okay? Um, honestly, you have to be neutral on beliefs because we can't serve all children who come to us if we're not neutral on beliefs when we're dealing with them. But you do have to have your facts behind you and you are allowed to put context onto situations. And um, that's knowing that, you know, you can't necessarily answer them from the dais, but you can answer later on, you can communicate with people, um, you can take notes and follow up with them. Um, but the facts and the context are incredibly important. Um, and as I said before, I think you just also need to remember to to put this situation in context. The 175 people who are yelling at me, as opposed to the 16,000 people we serve, most of whom are happy, so they're not saying anything. Happy people generally don't raise their hands. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's really good. And I, <clears throat> I think there's also the reality that, you know, they don't know when, when, when someone's scared, confused, frustrated, um, it, it's not always clear, you know, who to be upset at, but all they know is there's a board meeting and there's an opportunity. Here's, here's some people that are, that are present that I can speak to. I mean, you know, it's, you're going to be the most accessible people, uh, probably in the ecosystem. You know, there's obviously, you know, there's, there's state and federal, there's all these other levels to it, but they can't speak with those people. Um, and so it's like, it's, uh, you know, it's like when you get mad at the the cashier for some sort of corporate policy at a grocery store, you know, it's like, there's, there's just, um, it's the accessibility of it. And so, yeah, I think context is so, so important. Are there any sort of like, uh, moments that you can, uh, think of? Um, I know you already mentioned one, but any other moments of someone you're, you're just really proud, proud of how, how they reacted or, or any other, any kind of um, silver lining moments in, in those meetings that you can you can recall? Not necessarily in the meetings, but certainly over the last couple of years, you know, we get reached out to by email, by phone calls, things like that. Um, I actually have a list of who to go to with your concern. Um, you know, when they come in, they're they're upset about a mask mandate. Here, here's our county health officer. Okay, here's here's how you get to the state, the CDPH. Um, here, are your local legislators who who you need to talk to if you're concerned about vaccine mandates because they're the ones that are going to be imposing what the rules are there so i have that at the ready for them um i in a couple of cases i've actually in email interactions i've been able to kind of turn somebody around you know they came at us very angry about this and when i explained exactly why we're doing what we're doing um, they come back with, okay, thank you. I understand that much better now. And thank you for giving me that referral. I can, I can do something with this. What I have told them all along is our district has taken the position from day one that we would not do anything more than what we were told to do. Problem is that we share a border with LA. Los Angeles has, LA Unified has escalated a lot of the mandates, which is fine. That's their community, but people mix us up. Um, they think we are the same because we share a border with them. So I have to explain that, you know, and, and it goes both ways. I have parents that would like us to be completely masked and still social distancing and still 
you know, half the class size and, 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 and home instruction and all those things. So, you know, it's not just one side, there's a whole spectrum and we have to answer to all of that. So the only way we've really been able to do that with, with any sort of dignity is by following what we're told to do, (laughs) you know, not adding to it, not taking away from it. You know, these are not our decisions. We have to follow them. These are the reasons why we have to follow them. Um, but we're not going to add more to it. We're not going to do anything more than what we have to do to get through this because our focus is teaching kids. We're not doctors. We're not public health people. We're not politicians. Um, we are educators. We can make expert decisions on education. We cannot make expert decisions on COVID. So therefore, we will follow the instructions that we're given, but we're going to keep teaching. Um, whatever that looks like, we're going to keep doing that. So I've, I've been really proud that we have been consistent with that for two years. We haven't wavered from that for a moment. And there have been some temptations, especially when you have surges, you know, it's like, oh, maybe we need to tighten things up, but no, how are we going to answer to the parents that, you know, are of the other philosophy with that? (laughs) So with all this said, um, does anything make you optimistic about the future? Um, is there anything when you think about your community in particular? Um, yeah, anything, any silver lining or anything optimistic that you think in terms of the community, in terms of education, in terms of, um, this particular, you know, health crisis, et cetera. We are all changed. Okay. Education has now changed permanently. We have figured out ways to teach our kids in at home, out of the box with the technology that we have available. Um, I I don't want to see us have to go to that again. I don't think it was ideal in most cases, but it's doable. If we have to do it, we can do it. Um, We have learned a lot about our community. Our community is much more invested in us than they ever were before for good and bad. (laughs) So um, it makes us... um, we have to acknowledge that we have a higher obligation than we did two years ago because the awareness is greater. So our responsibility is much greater and we have to take that seriously. We have to do things that, that continue to serve the kids that come to us and their families um, by extension. So I'm very positive. I, I think there is an end in sight to this. Um, my guess is it's going to be soon. <laughs> I, I think we are going to be out of masks at some point in the next couple of months. I personally think that we need to learn how to live with the current circumstances as best as we can. Viruses are going to continue to be present, but I think having our kids home for a year and a half was very detrimental to them. You know, a month or two, sure. A year and a half, it's too much. It's too much on our families. It's too much on the kids. They need that interaction. They need to be in front of us. We can't, we can't serve them best that way. So, um, you know, it seems like the state is of the same thought and, um, you know, sometimes I wonder if this was just some great social experiment. I, it worries me, <laughs> but um, but I'm 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 soothed by the fact that the state does seem to be adamant about you're not going back to home instruction. You know, if you if you can't come in, your independent study is the option. Um, and I think that things will calm down. You know, I, I honestly, if the mask mandates get lifted, a lot of the stress that we're under goes away. Um, in terms of the safety factor, I, I, now we're getting into the philosophy and, and it's not neutral. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm happy to wear my mask. I'm happy to be back at schools. I'm happy to have that access. So I'm, I'm wearing it and I'm not complaining, but I can understand where our parents are concerned. And as long as they remain concerned, we're going to have issues. So, yeah, I think that's really well said. And, um, I, I, 
I hope we're on the on the back end of this too. It's, it certainly seems like it. Um, there's a lot of good news in terms of variants being less severe. Um, and so, so yeah, hopefully, hopefully we're, we're, we're in the, the kind of the final chapter here. Um, what makes you excited for your, uh, on a personal level, what makes you excited when you think about, uh, your future at this district, your future, um, in education as a PIO, what kind of, um, make, makes you excited as you look to your future personally? You know, there's so much about this job. There's so many different parts to it and, and it morphs. You know, when I first was hired, social media management wasn't even a term. <laughs> um, now it's a good third of what I do during the course of my week. A third of my time is spent on social media management and stuff. So there, there's always something new that's happening. That's kind of what I like is, you know, there's so many different tasks and so many different things to do. Um you know, I, I, when you had asked me earlier about being a, an office of one, one of the things I did want to say, and I am plugging it, is being an office of one and being the first in my county to have this position. Now there are seven of us in Ventura County, but when I came in, I was the very first. And the only outside support I got that was that was really learned and, and wise and, and had been there and done that was through CalSPRA, which is California School Public Relations Association. So CalSPRA was you know, essential to giving me, um, you know, some of the skills that I needed to do my job. Journalism is one thing. Public relations is a whole different skill set. It's the same. You're using the same tools, the writing, the storytelling, um, but there are different rules and I didn't know them. And um, it was great to have a place to go to, to know them. So, um, you know, I, I, I believe fully in, in passing it on and paying it forward and making sure that others that do what I do are in a good position to do it. Um, I love seeing our districts bring in people like me to help with their communications. I love knowing that, that they may not understand why they're bringing somebody like me in, but in six months, they're going to be, oh my gosh, thank you. <laughs> because so much is going to be taken off their place so they can do what they're trained to do, which is teach. Um, they don't have to worry about all the fires that have to be put out. They've got somebody that can handle that. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited about things that come up. That's awesome. Yeah. And Calspra is such a phenomenal community. Um, I've gotten the chance to see it over the last few years and it's really cool to see how everyone supports each other and, um, learns together. And, um, it's great to hear that they were there to support you. And, um, yeah, wishing you all the best the next, uh, you know, the coming months and years. And um, thanks so much for sharing so many great um, insights and uh, wisdom. Thanks so much. And, um, yeah, wishing you all the best. Oh, thank you, Rob. Thank you for the opportunity. It's, it's fun to be able to talk about what I do. This is the School District PR Pros Podcast. The School District PR Pros Podcast is presented by Schoolshine, providing school districts with cutting-edge videos and video content strategy to help promote programs, increase school engagement, and more. Learn more at schoolshine.org.